Now this morning, uh, when we got to, well, a few months ago, we got to Luke 10, the end of the passage. Uh, I chose to skip it uh, and save it for a day. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to come to Luke 10. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 10, the end of the chapter, Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The Word of God. Please be seated. Uh, some of you go up a little bit when uh, you notice which passage I was going to, because uh, we all recognize that, you know, Mary's kind of got a point, doesn't she? Martha's got a point, doesn't she? That, uh, you know, it does seem like she needs a little help here. And, uh, but, but yet, uh, this is a passage that God, uh, that's not in the Bible for Martha and Mary. Martha knew the story. It is in the Bible for you and for me. What does God want to say, not just to the moms, but to all of us today from this brief passage? Can you imagine what happened that day? Can you picture it? Uh, especially in the Gospels, though in all the Bible, you, you, to understand what the Bible is saying, you've got to read it, read it imaginally. Imagine yourself there. Okay, you're in that house. There's a knock at the door. Martha goes to the door, opens it, and there's Jesus. They're very close to Jesus. These three adult siblings, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, very close to him. I've been reading in my devotions, John 11 and 12, which has a lot about Martha, Mary, Lazarus. They're very close. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So when she opens the door and there's Jesus, you know, you can imagine the smiles. Yes. And uh, there's Jesus, you know, 12 hungry, tired, dirty men. And, uh, you know, there's no warning, of course, that they're showing up at the door. There's no email or phone. So, uh, uh, you know, Martha, who is, you know, pretty type A, she's going to immediately go to work to uh, get some food on the table but they're still thrilled to see Jesus. And most of them, uh, the guys, you know, go with Lazarus into the main room. Maybe he gets a few neighbors in there. Martha immediately goes to that kitchen. She's working hard. Can you picture her? You know, the flour is flying. <laughs> Pans, pots, uh, furrowed brow, you know, all business here. And she's just working away. Mary is not in the kitchen with her. We all know that. She is in the living room with the men with Jesus. I do not take it that that was her normal practice. If so, then Martha wouldn't have been surprised. Been no big deal. Oh, no, Martha never helped. I mean, Mary never helps. No, uh, she probably knew her place. And, you know, that would have been her, her role to help out in the kitchen. But apparently she goes in the living room with Jesus and she doesn't leave. And Martha keeps expecting any time Mary's going to come in here, but she doesn't. And finally, she gets just pretty frustrated about that. 
Now, to understand this passage, you've got to understand, uh, this is a very patriarchal culture. Now, some of you are aware that our society can be sexist, and uh, there can be unfair things with women. But if that's true for us, that is so much more true in first century Israeli culture. It was very patriarchal. In fact, the men, a daily prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not a woman or a Gentile. You know, that, that was their heart, and that was their spirit. And, and little girls didn't get educated. I mean, it was incredible. And, um, and they just grew up that way. So for Mary to be with the men listening to the teaching of Jesus and not with her sister preparing the food was a huge cultural taboo. But Jesus allows it. And he not only allows her to stay in there with the men, but she takes the role, the position of a disciple in that culture. Uh, for rabbis, that's a teacher, just a teacher. And Jesus was a teacher. Uh, the disciples followed the rabbis around, and whenever he would pause and sit down to, to teach, they would sit at his feet. They wouldn't sit in the chairs. They're taking the role of a, of a, of a teacher, I mean of a learner, of a disciple. And that's what Mary does here. She's saying, I'm a disciple. I'm a learner. I'm going to sit at his feet. And that's what she does here. Jesus allows this. You know, Jesus uh, had no problem violating cultural norms about anything, including about women in so many ways. And we see it here. But now back to the kitchen. You can picture Martha in there, can't you? And in fact, a lot of you, uh, you can really identify with her. I, I can to some extent. I mean, you know, she's in there working hard by herself. She hears, you know, the teaching going in there. She hears the laughter maybe. And, and there's, you know, her sisters in there, you know, uh, not out here helping with her. And she reaches a boiling point. And pretty soon she flings off that apron or whatever she's got on, eyes ablaze, marches into that room and everybody slinks down except Jesus. Jesus is not intimidated. Uh, she manages in about two seconds to rebuke Mary, to rebuke Jesus, and then tell Jesus what he needs to be doing. Notice it in verse 41, how, you know, how concise she is. Actually, verse 40, she says, she, she comes up to Jesus. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone, tell her then to help me. You know, she's mad at her sister. She's especially mad at Jesus for allowing that to go on. And then she orders Jesus what to do. Tell Mary to get in here and to help me. Now, Mary's slinking down. Everybody else is kind of shrinking down. Not Jesus. Um, you know, the thing about Jesus, one of the so many things about him is uh, Jesus didn't say things um, that people wanted to hear. He said things that people needed to hear. And, and that really defines the difference between a lover of people and a pleaser of people. Pleasers say things that people want to hear. Lovers say things that people need to hear. And if you are a pleaser to that extent, you cannot be a lover. Your pleasers are all wrapped up in, you know, what makes me comfortable, what I need. Jesus wasn't a pleaser. Now, I know all of us have some pleaser in us. Some of you got more than your share. <laughs> Whether or not that's from your parent, for your, for your parents, or your spouse, or kids, or 
friends or whoever. But as we become more and more Christ-like, God will deliver us from that and give us freedom to love people. So we don't, we don't any longer need their approval. Now, Jesus models it right here. He doesn't need her approval. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, Mary, oh, yeah Martha, of course. And, and get, he doesn't do that. He, he, he has an opportunity to speak into Martha's life and into Mary's life and everyone's there and into your life. He simply says, Martha, Martha. And he does it in love. In John 11, it is so clear how close Jesus is to this family, including Martha. Martha, Martha. You worry and fret about so many things. You know, just like a typical type A driven people. She was probably an oldest child, like a lot of you are, and just getting too excited about things. She says, but he said, but but Mary has chosen the good portion, and it won't be taken away from her. And then the passage ends, book closed, that's it. Boom. What is that passage in there for? Again, it's not for Martha and Mary. They knew it. They lived it. It is for you and me. What does God want to say to you and me this morning about Martha and Mary? He is not rebuking Martha for serving. Uh, That wasn't the issue at all. He was challenging her for assuming that Mary needed to love Jesus the way she loved Jesus. And to think that that was the priority. Martha was a worker, and she meant well, and she uh, wanted to please and serve the Lord. But Mary also loved Jesus, and, and she was at his feet listening to Jesus, and Jesus said, that's, that's not going to be taken away from her. She's chosen the good part. In fact, that, that word, the good part, can be translated the best part, the better part. Uh, you mean to tell me, Jesus, that in that situation, that Mary sitting at your feet was okay, just listening, violating all the cultural norms about what women can do and not do, that just being with Jesus was okay, (laughs) not just okay, it's the best thing, that's the best thing. And then the passage ends. This is what God is saying to us through this passage. He's not saying it's a bad thing to serve. Does anybody recall what the previous passage was in Luke 10. It's the, perhaps the most famous passage of all of Jesus' passages. It's the Good Samaritan. You know, the whole point of the Good Samaritan is, if you see somebody with a need, serve them. I mean, that's the second commandment. Love your neighbor. Serve them. Serve them. But then, uh, inspired by the Spirit, uh, the Spirit includes this little passage to bring some perspective. Hey, the second commandment is so important. But the first commandment is even more important. Love the Lord your God. And if Mary is in there at the feet of Jesus, she has chosen the better part. We're activists, especially in the West. We're activists. We don't value the inner life like Jesus did. Uh, We value doing. Don't just sit there, do something. Uh, Jesus values it when you just snuggle up to him and sit at his feet and draw close and worship and listen and pray and sing. He loves that. Yeah, it's a good thing to be a worker for Jesus, but it is even a better thing to be a worshiper of Jesus. It's not either or. It's both and. But the foundation 
is worship and not work. Is that the foundation for you? There was a, a missionary in the Philippines who just said, you know, I, I just want to serve the Lord. And, and, and um, someone spoke some truth. And what, what the Lord really wants from you is simply to love him. Just love him back. You know, that's the foundation. This morning, there's a lot of you, perhaps, who are doing a lot of work for Jesus. But maybe you're not sitting at his feet. The problem with that, well, there's several problems with that. First of all, the first commandment is first. But secondly, if you've got the work for Jesus without the worship of Jesus as the foundation, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to get angry and resentful. And you're going to wither up and burn out. And you're going to get mad at all those other folks around you who aren't serving the Lord as much as you are. So it starts with worshiping Jesus, drawing close to Jesus. Listening to Jesus, just loving him, loving him. The main thing God wants from you is not your work for him, but you're loving him with all your heart. And so, church, do what Mary does. Uh, Be a worshiper. Be a lover. Choose the best part. Uh, Both are essential, working and worshiping, but the foundation, the essential one, is worshiping Jesus and loving Jesus. So be, first of all, a worshiper. Meet with the Lord every day and let him love you. Get along with him. Let him pour out his love and grace into your life. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10. Matthew 11.28. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So come to him every day and get your rest. I do not offer you this morning the burden of having a quiet time. I offer you the gift of getting the rest of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the, the, the soul feeling of Jesus. It's like Mother Teresa said. She said, you know, how do you cope? Well, every day. She said, Jesus is the deep well, and every day I drop my bucket into that well. Now, a lot of you are weary, and you think with your pride, it's because you're so important and so busy. That's not why you're so weary. That is human pride. The word busyness is always related to our self-important pride. Every time you use it. This is why you're weary. Because that movie last night did not fill up your soul. That trip to that vacation spot did not fill up your soul. You are made in the image of God. You are made for worship. And only God can bring soul restoration and replenishment. So, Jesus is the deep well. And every day, got to drop that bucket in the well. You doing that? You doing that? It, it, it is something not to miss. It is the privilege of life just to draw close, let him love you, love him back, open his word. Not, not so much to read his word, but to pray his word. And to talk with him and to sing to him and to be still before him. Lord, what do you have to say to me? And you jot down what you sense God's saying to you. Just let him fill you up. Mary. Martha, that's a good thing that she's uh, serving and working so hard. But the foundation has got to be just being, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, it's a little bit like those airplane trips we go on. And uh, the flight attendant tells us at the start, you know, all the safety principles. 
And uh, the flight attendant tells us that when the oxygen mask drops down, if you've got a child with you, who gets the oxygen mask first? Mom does. Dad does. Um, Now, that is counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, that's against everything in us. I mean, we would normally think, man, put that thing on the child, carry care of that child. I understand that the reason airlines do this is because a mother's first instinct is to take care of her child. And if anything goes wrong there, the, you know, uh, something happens to the parent, then they can't help the child. So first, breathe in your own oxygen so you can help your child. It's like that with God and your children. Breathe first the breath of God so you can then breathe life into your children. If you try to breathe life into your children day after day, week after week, without getting the breath of God, you're not going to have any breath to breathe into them. So you come to Jesus. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I do not offer you this morning the burden of time with the Lord, but the gift of getting filled up, breathing the breath of God. One young mom was so frustrated with her kids one day, she grabs her Bible and says, God help me. She just cries out. And within moments, she said, a verse almost leaped off the page at me. It was from 1 Samuel 2 about Eli, and it said, why do you honor your sons more than me? And she said it was as if God was asking me that question. And as I sat there, I almost dismissed the question. It's not relevant to me. She said, after all, my four-year-old does not blaspheme God. My two-year-old is not sexually promiscuous. And the dirtiest thing my baby does is to fill his diapers. She said, the original question has a historical context, but it conveys a timeless message. Why do you give your best to your children and give me second place? There I was, desperately needing a break from serving my children when God took the opportunity to tell me how much I needed to be with him. He wants my relationship with him to supersede every other relationship in my life, including my children. This is a fine line, she says, because mothering well is is part of the way we honor God, taking care of our children, even going beyond the call of duty for them uh, is not the issue. She says the heart of the matter is that nobody, not even our kids, should have the highest place in our hearts, higher place than God, lest they become our idols. Says it's almost ludicrous to use that term, idols, yet that is what they become when we honor them more than God. She said, we cannot be fooled into thinking that all the great things we do as moms are more important than just being intimate with the Lord. The stakes are too high, for we risk our families becoming like Eli's if we put our children before God. God must have the highest place of honor in our hearts. She she said, it took that day of absolute frustration and exhaustion for me to be reminded of this. And since that hallmark day, I've begun asking God every morning, Lord, how can I put you first today? And and I just want to encourage you. uh, In the providence of God, this fits in exactly with the point last week from Luke 14. That the problem with children is that they're so important to us, they're so good, so valued to us, and they should be, is that there's a danger. Because they're so good, it's easy to let the good thing become the main thing and have the idolatry of family. And so, yes, love those kids with all you got. But always Jesus is first. You breathe the life of God in. And you breathe it to the children and the folks around you. So church, this morning God is calling you and me and reminding us, put the first commandment first 
above the second commandment. Love the Lord. Love the Lord. Get along with him. Choose to make this a priority of your life. Tozier wrote, in my creature impatience, I am often caused to wish that, were, that there was some easy way to bring modern Christians into a deeper spiritual life, painlessly, by easy lessons. He says, but such wishes are vain. No shortcut exists. God is not bowed to our nervous haste. It is well that we accept the hard truth now. The person who would know God must give time to, to, must give time to him. Now, friends, uh, serving God doesn't substitute for knowing God, for loving God. Uh, yeah, God wants us to serve him, absolutely. But there are tons of pastors, tons of believers, tons of missionaries who are frantically serving and they don't know the Lord with any kind of intimacy or love. And God is saying, first things first. Our first priority is not uh, making disciples. Our first priority is not bringing hope to the world. It's not even loving one another. It is loving Jesus, loving Jesus. And then outside of that, the overflow of that comes everything else, including this. And that's what the Lord is teaching us through this passage, underscoring. So what does that look like? This is not religious duty. This is not uh, uh, rules and regulations. This is, there's no formulas for what to do. Notice the Bible has a complete absence of formulas on how to meet with the Lord. But what it does is show us the priority time after time after time, including in the life of Jesus. What, what do you do? Well, it can look like all kinds of things, but uh, you know, it's going to include the Bible. It's going to include, uh, and let me urge you, not just reading the Bible for your head, but, but you're praying the Bible, you're, you're listening to God in the Bible with your heart. You're asking God, Lord, speak to me, Lord, change me, Lord, speak to me. Uh, hopefully, it's not all talking, but there's some listening to the Lord. I hope you're singing to Him. You know, uh, it's no accident that there are so many love songs in our culture and, and throughout history. Because there's something about the way God made us is that when we love someone, we want to sing that love song. All these love songs. Well, that's true of God. We want to sing and express to Him our love. I hope it includes singing. It's going to include asking. It's going to include just being with Him. When do you do that? You choose. If you're a real night person, maybe at midnight, maybe it's your lunch hour. Most of us, it's probably going to be in the morning just because it's just as a, let's get that in before the day and Make sure that's a priority to us. But, you know, you're free. There's no Bible verse about that. Uh, where do you do it? Wherever you want to do it. Wherever it's a good place. Maybe your living room chair. Maybe your back deck. Maybe walking on the trails in the neighborhood. Uh, it may be on the commuter bus. If you commute an hour downtown, an hour back, well, that's two hours right there. Uh, man, that's a lot of gifts right there to meet with the Lord. You know, put some earplugs in or something and hear the Bible on tape. If you're driving, it's a little bit more difficult, but for heaven's sake, turn off sports radio. There is nothing new on sports radio that you need to have that day. But put on the Bible. Don't put on my mask. Put on the Bible. Let God speak to you. Worship Him. Draw close to Him. Make it a priority. Um, how long should you do that? No rules. Um, Ten minutes of loving Jesus is much better than three hours of religious duty. But don't hold back on 10 minutes. Uh, this is so rich, you're going to want to do it more. I'd encourage you to build up to an hour or so. 
maybe more. I mean, it is, it is the privilege of life. Here, here's the thought. You know, we've got our two granddaughters right over there with Gail. And I, I love to be with them. I love when they come running to me. So does your Father in heaven. He loves it when you run to Him. That's what it's about. It's your Father who loves it when you run to Him and sit at His feet and get filled up. Draw close. So, church, uh, make this, this time alone with the Lord, this unhurried time with the Lord, uh, just a gift from God that you savor and, and make it of first importance in your life because He is first. Let me close with this Mother Teresa story. Philip Yancey tells this from his time in Calcutta when Mother Teresa was alive. He said, I visited Calcutta, India, a place of poverty, death, and irremediable human problems. It says, there the nuns trained by Mother Teresa served the poorest, most miserable people on the planet. Half-dead bodies picked up from the streets of Calcutta. The world stands in awe at the sisters' dedication and the results of their ministry. But she has something about the, these nuns impresses me even more, and that is their serenity. He said, if I tackle such a daunting project, I would likely be scurrying about, faxing press releases to donors, begging for more resources, gulping tranquilizers, grasping at ways to cope with my mounting depression. Not these nuns. Their serenity traces back to what takes place before their day's work begins. At 4 o'clock in the morning, long before the sun, the sisters rise awakened by a bell and a call that says, let us bless the Lord. And they reply, thanks be to God. They dress in their spotless white saris. They file into the chapel where they all sit on the floor Indian style and pray and sing together. On the wall of the plain chapel hangs a crucifix with the words, I thirst. Before meeting their first client, they immerse themselves in worship and in the love of God. And that's the heart of it. This time with God I'm talking about. You immerse yourselves in worship and in the love of God. He goes on, he says, I sense no panic in the sisters who run the home for the dying and destitute. I see concern and compassion, but no obsession over what should not, does not get done. In fact, early on in their work, Mother Teresa instituted this rule that you take Thursdays off for prayer and rest. The work will always be here, but if we do not rest and pray, we will not have the presence to do our work. Now, friends, that's true for moms. That's true for all of us. If we do not take the time to meet with God, we'll have nothing to offer. So every day, we got the privilege of coming to the Lord and getting filled up with His love and grace. Do that. Stand with me, please. Friend, maybe you're in the room, and I know we have a lot of guests on Mother's Day. We're so glad to have you, by the way. But maybe, you know, all of this doesn't quite, you know, make sense. What's all this about? Well, let me tell you what it's about. Christianity is not about church or churchianity or religion. It is about a love affair. That is the gospel. That God loves you crazy. Crazy love. So much that he sent his son to die on a cross. And when he hung on that cross outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, God put all of your sins, I say all of your sins, upon Jesus and he paid for them. And all you've got to do is receive that gift. It's not you being good enough. It's you receiving what Jesus Christ did. And if you've never done that, do it now. Just, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I take you. Be my Savior. Just breathe a prayer right where you're at. Now, many of us, most of us have done that. And I urge you to continue. 
pursue that love relationship.